Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. So today I'm going to play an interview for you, a conversation I had with a guy named Dave Sedia. My email list is often the most interesting source of basically unexpected connections and happy surprises for me. And in response to an email I sent out some months ago, Dave responded with a uh, something that just really caught my interest. He was talking about this product business he's built on the side and how well it's doing and how that's a result of being specific. And I was like on that, like white on rice, I emailed him right back and said, would you come on the podcast and tell your story? The reason I think this is so interesting is I know that, um, well, number one, Dave shared some revenue numbers with me and I, I said to myself, wow, that's more money than I made per month in the first job I had out of college which, you know, granted was an entry-level job, but still it was like, wow, that's a respectable amount of revenue. And second, I know that adding a, a revenue stream like a product business or something that you can do, you know, that's complementary to your day job or your main gig or whatever that is, is really desirable to a lot of folks. And trust me, I get it. It's because that diversity of revenue just, you know, puts you in a stronger position in a lot of ways in your life and in your business. And it's for that reason that I'm really excited to play for you the interview that I did with Dave. Here we go. Dave. Hey, Phil. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's your day going? Not too bad. So I feel like you're, you have such an interesting story that we might need all 30 minutes. It's just a hunch. Okay. So um, I have like ambushed you by having the recording already going. <laughs> you want to just do this thing? <laughs> Normally I sit chat with people, but I, I just have questions. So what do you think about diving right into it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go. Hey, that sounds great. So let's start with my the same question I always start with. Who are you and what do you do? What's like the 30-second version of Dave? Yeah, so I'm a um, I'm a full time software engineer. Uh, I have a day job, um, and I write uh, front end code, JavaScript, and React. Um, and on the side, I have a I have a blog, and um, I wrote a I wrote a book as well called Pure React that uh, teaches JavaScript developers how to how to learn React. Um, that's that's pretty much it. So if someone is like not interested in hearing this story and they just want to buy the book, where, where would they go to, to see your book or your blog? <laughs> uh, my blog is davesedia.com and the book is purereact.com. Okay. So Dave, you, uh, I'm not going to share the number here, but in an email to me, you said, uh, I'll translate the number to a vague reference. You um, had a month where your sales were higher than my salary was at my first um, full-time job, <laughs> like uh, whatever that was in uh, 96. So that's where you are today. You have a product that sells. It's uh, like a specific thing. It's not just how to program. It's, it's very, you know, very focused, very specific thing. So how did you get to where you are today? Like, I mean, how did you build this product business? Yeah, so that's kind of a long and winding story, I guess. Um, good, good. So, <laughs> I like those guys. <laughs> um, so I've been doing uh, I've been doing software development kind of forever, um, professionally for about nine years. 
Um, and uh, probably, I don't, I don't remember how long ago now, I, I stumbled upon the Four Hour Work Week uh, book by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And um, that kind of got me started thinking about, you know, products and kind of going independent somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so did you, did you read that book like right after it came out? I didn't know. I think okay. it was, um, it was a few years after it came out. And okay. I remember um, kind of the, the specific uh, guidelines he gives about, you know, testing things with Google AdWords and stuff for, yeah. for five cents per click or whatever was not a thing anymore. Like by the time <laughs> I read the book, it was, it was at least a dollar a click or something. I was like, this isn't probably, probably not a good way to do it. Um, so I, uh, I went through a couple of different online business courses and um, eventually stumbled into um, Amy Hoy's 30 by 500. Yeah. Um, which ended up being, being awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of what kind of what got me started down this idea of uh, implementing the the product stuff. Kind of before that, I'd been wanting to do stuff, and I'd had a couple other things that I tried and didn't really go anywhere. Um, there was one. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask. Like, we we need the embarrassing, funny story of like your first attempt at a product. So, what was that? Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> I had this idea to build a um, uh, eBay alerts service. Uh-huh. Uh, it was called Foghorn. Uh-huh. And um, this was kind of around the time where everyone was doing like a uh, everyday commitment. Don't break the chain was a popular thing at the time. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so I hopped on that bandwagon and I, uh, I, I coded this thing up like, you know, every day I worked on a, a little bit uh-huh. and went for, I think, six months or a year. I forget how long it was now. So I, I finished the thing and I, and I got it out there and then I, um, I had no idea how to get it in front of people. Like okay. I, I built it, I shipped it. I was like, all right, cool. Now how do I get any, any customers? Okay. So you kind of worked in, uh, in secret or in your code cave for long enough for, to make a human baby to make this right. Is yeah. what it sounds like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nice. Well, <laughs> we've all done some variation of that uh, working in the in the code cave thing, right? Yeah, um, and I, you know, I had no idea about about marketing, and I'd sort of heard about you know building email lists and stuff, and I was like, I don't know how I would do that. Um, so I, you know, I, I built the thing and I shipped it, and then I sort of lost motivation because I was like, what do I do now? It wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't clear where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little while after that, I had started a, another, I st- my first blog um, was called Design with Dave. And I, so uh, I've always been sort of interested in design. I have sort of a, sort of an eye for design, but I wanted to learn more about it. And I thought mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe I can blog about it as I learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a little bit of traction with that one. You know, I got a handful of subscribers. I think I, think I made it up to like, 25 or something like that. Um, and so that, that was good. You know, it was kind of going in the right direction, but I think eventually it's, um, I felt like it sort of caught up to me that I didn't really know what I was doing. (laughs) I was like (laughs) writing about the stuff that I was, that I was learning as I was going. And, um, and yeah, I, that just kind of put a damper on my motivation. I think that like imposter syndrome feeling of, you know, um, 
you know, who am I to be writing about this design stuff? I'm, I don't really know anything. Right. Um, so I am looking as we speak at designwithdave.com. It is still up. 2014. It looks like. Yeah. Okay. Um, actually it's interesting. It's, it's recently begun getting subscribers, um, like one or two a day. <laughs> it's just from Google or something, I guess. <laughs> I don't really hilarious. know what to do with them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm not emailing anything. So, uh, huh. yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So after that, I think uh, it was probably about a year after that that I started started DaveSetty.com and started blogging about uh, Angular JS, which was the, the framework that I was using at work. Okay. Um, and I had started, I had started in on the 30 by 500 class and they, um, the approach they recommend is, uh, kind of research first. So, you know, going in, um, not surveying customers, not like doing customer interviews, but actually going to places where customers hang out online in places like Reddit or whatever yeah. and um, taking notes on things and using that as kind of fodder for blog posts and, and eventually products. Right. Um, so uh, I sort of followed that method and that, uh, that started to take off pretty well. And I think that the biggest difference with that was that I actually started sharing my posts. Um, prior to that, I kind of had this, this feeling that, you know, I could build things, but you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, be too self-promotional about them or anything. Can, can we dig into that? That's, um, that's a, I know not a struggle that's limited to you because a, I've felt it myself and I have talked to so many people who they feel like there's a balancing act between um, doing something they think, think is valuable and then promoting that or should you just let it sort of, promote itself or, you know, is good work going to be recognized on its own? So when you said just now that you were, you had some kind of uncertainty around the whole promotion thing, can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think that's a commonly held feeling in the, especially for software developers, mm-hmm. this, the feeling of like kind of anti-marketing, anti-sales. Um, and that idea that I think maybe we all kind of hear about early on this like built it and they will come, you know, if you make an awesome product or whatever, then it'll sell itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of alluring. Uh, and I think that's, that's sort of what I, what I hoped would happen. Um, but I, I guess I sort of, you know, proved to myself that that wouldn't happen with that eBay thing. Right. Um, and I think what, what sort of, um, I'd say I've, I've sort of gotten over it by now, but, uh, but only by kind of continually, um, pushing through the, the fear of, 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 um, sharing my stuff, I think mm-hmm. and in, in the beginning, I think it was, it was a lot scarier. And I think it, it's, um, uh, I think what helped me kind of get over that to some degree is, is the feeling of actually helping people. So, you know, not just, not just sharing things for the sake of like, here, look, I have this thing for sale, but mm-hmm. here's this, here's this blog post that will help you. And, um, kind of, 
coming at it from that angle, not like self-promotional, but more like here's, here's something that I think will help. So there's a kind of functional quality to stuff you feel good about sharing. Like it's, it's, you know, it has the function of helping people or solving a problem or something like that. Is that yeah. about right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Can you remember uh, the first time someone you'd never met spontaneously reached out to thank you for either the blog posts you were publishing or maybe that didn't happen until the book. I don't know, but like I, I know for most people who've gone down this road, that's a really memorable moment. Do you happen to remember the first time that happened? Cause I'm sure it has happened. No one who's yeah, where you are has not had that happen. It's, it's, it's a few times. Um, I can't remember. I can't specifically remember the first time, Okay, but um, I've definitely received emails from people that say that my, you know, my, my book has helped them a lot or that my blog posts have, have helped them a lot. Um, and that, that, I mean, that's a really great feeling. It is now that I apply the same question to myself. I'm like, well, I can't remember either the first one. Um, I, I can remember like the first sale of the book maybe. Yeah. Or the first time I woke up and looked at my phone before I should have in the morning and saw that, you know, a sale had happened while I was sleeping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember that stuff in a general sense, but yeah, I, I guess I couldn't answer that question either if I asked it to myself, but was that part of sort of developing the confidence in promoting your own work or were there other things maybe that helped you to build up that confidence? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a big part of it um, is, is having that good feedback from people. And I think it, it sort of snowballs, I guess, um, you know, it, as the email list grows and as I can have more conversations with people, um, you know, kind of about their own struggles and about things they've, you know, the ways they've benefited from, from my work, um, all of that kind of, kind of feeds on itself, I guess. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sort of validation, I guess it's, it, it's an ego boost, honestly, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's kind of kind of fuel to keep going to. How did you decide? So it, let me make sure I'm understanding correctly before I ask that question. So it sounds like you started blogging about uh, React, right? Or I started blogging about uh, a different different library called okay. Angular, uh-huh. um, and I I did that for uh, probably about a year. Okay. Um, and then there was a there was sort of a turning point where um, I was using Angular version one and Angular version two had come out and um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of this you know I I saw it coming and I it was in beta or something so I thought I'll try this out and make sure that you know I'm kind of like on the forefront of it so I can start blogging about it and stuff um, and when I did that I realized that I didn't like the direction they had taken it at all mm-hmm. um, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I kind of thought, um, you know, if I have to keep going with this framework, I'm, I'm probably not going to keep going. You know, I'm probably going to have to, I'm probably going to quit this thing because it's just not, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was, that was when I tried React, um, which I had kind of been hearing about. And I was like, no, I don't, I'll put it off because it's, you know, it's not mm-hmm. the thing I'm using right now. Um, but, you know, I gave it a try and I was like, wow, this is, this is actually a way better way to build applications. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe I'll just, I'll just switch. Uh, and there was, so there was a, a, a lot more fear in it than, <laughs> than mm-hmm. I'm making it sound now. I think when I, when I did, I, 
that I sort of eased into it. I, I didn't just switch overnight. I kind of wrote a couple of posts that were like, oh, you know, why is React maybe better than Angular 2? Here are my thoughts on it. Um, and then I don't think I ever really announced that I was just going to switch, but um, I just started writing about React and stopped writing about Angular. Interesting. Now I'm looking at your blog now um, at the archive of all the posts ever. And it's, it's so interesting to look at that while you're explaining this because you can see the transition happening. So there's all these posts in 2016, like 2015 is all, all um, Angular, right? And then yeah, yeah. About midway through 2016, it says, uh, I'm just going to read some of the titles because I think this will be interesting for the folks at home. Angular 2, should you upgrade? Right? It looks like that <laughs> yeah. corresponds with the... You checked out the beta of Angular 2, did not really like what you saw. Yeah. And, and then a little later, why React? Why not Angular 2? is <laughs> a blog post that happens a little later. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like you can see the, like the fossil record of this transition you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, that, that why React, why not Angular 2 post was, um, was one that did really well. And I think that was also kind of a, uh, gave me some confidence to switch. Um, I think it was probably the, the first post I had made that got a lot of comments on it and a lot of comments that agreed with, you know, the, the angle I had taken, um, and actually kind of productive discussion for that debate. I think like typically, you know, around that time, any thread that, you know, there, there were like a lot of posts that, that sort of made this comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the, most of the comments on them and, and the commentary around the internet about it, which is just kind of a, um, you know, religious war, but, mm -hmm. uh, the comments in that post were, were actually pretty good. Uh, but also, but also supportive. And I, I started thinking like, Oh, there's other people feeling the same way I do about this stuff. Um, that, you know, maybe my whole audience won't just get up and leave. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that was kind of my fear at that point. I built up an email list. I think I was up to, Oh, I don't know, maybe 1200 people or something like that. And I thought, you know, I start writing about React, and all these people are going to unsubscribe immediately. <laughs> um, but it didn't didn't really happen. I mean, there were a couple, the first couple of posts that were just about React. Um, they got a couple more unsubscribes, but it, it, mm -hmm. there was never that mass exodus that I feared. Okay, um, I want to put a pin in the story here and dig into some of these things you brought up. So, was you you talked about comments and also your email list? Um, about when did you add an email list? Was that a sort of um, byproduct of seeing the 30 by 500 view of doing things or did that happen before or after that? Um, it was it was pretty much from the beginning, I think. Okay, um, okay. Because I think that was one of the things that they, that they recommended. It was like set up a blog, set up yeah. a mailchimp account and just make sure you have an email list from day one. Even if it's just sign up to my newsletter, yeah. you know, don't optimize the call to action at all or anything like that. Just get something on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, I think I started that from, from if not day one, definitely from like the first couple of weeks. Nice. Okay. So how did you keep your finger on the pulse of, you know, quote unquote, your audience? That's something that, I don't know, I, I, th I think that's like a mental, it's a concept that, no, like no one's born thinking they have an audience, unless I guess they have some kind of, you know, like egotistical <laughs> personality or something. I think the whole world's their audience, right? 
I guess as babies, we really do sort of act that way. But then, you know, we, we get that kicked out of us pretty early on, most of us. And then we're like, well, I don't have an audience, you know, who, who cares what I do? Yeah. And then you enter this world of blogging or appearing on podcasts or whatever it is, right? Like you're, you're kind of, there's, I feel like there's a subtle change where you start to realize you have an audience and maybe you think that's an opportunity or maybe you think it's a responsibility or maybe you think it's a burden. I, although I don't think that's very common because why would you, it's not like the audience finds you, you know, uh, it, none of us are movie stars. We, we have to build the audience ourselves. So when did you start thinking in those terms? Like I have an audience. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, what I, people notice what I do. Right, right, right. It's sort of a, I, I guess that sort of came gradually too. Like in mm-hmm. the beginning when I had a handful of people, I, I didn't feel a, um, I guess I didn't feel like a strong, excuse me. Um, I didn't feel a, uh, I don't know. I didn't, didn't feel like I had to keep, keep posting or anything. I didn't feel like there was a big obligation there, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, as it went on, I think that feeling has sort of gotten bigger. Like I owe, you know, I owe them something if it's been a couple weeks and I'm like, Oh geez, I haven't done a blog post in, what feels like forever now. Yeah. Um, so I, but I guess, you know, keeping a pulse on the audience, I, I try to interact with them over email a bit. And I, mm-hmm. I think um, the, the thing I have in place is just whenever I, whenever I get a new subscriber, I sign them up to like a welcome email. And then one day later I send them a, can I ask you a question mm-hmm. email? Um, mm-hmm. And that one, uh, I think like, in the past, it's gotten pretty good response rate, um, like ten or fifteen percent or something. Nice. Um, What's the question you ask? Uh, I the subject line is literally, "Can I ask you a question?" And uh-huh. then I say, um, "You know, is there anything you're struggling with right now, whether that's React or JavaScript or anything?" Mm-hmm. Um, just hit reply. Nice. And um, so that's kind of fun. I get to you know, some people some people write like really long, long questions or. Um, they write to say, you know, I like your stuff, but I don't have any questions right now or um, whatever. But it kind of keeps me, keeps my head in the game, I guess. It keeps me like interacting with them. That's great. So, okay. So back to the story. We're kind of, so we're kind of around 2016. Um, you've decided okay, we're going to talk about React. We're not going to talk about Angular. How did you choose the topics that you wrote about for your blog? So I think all the, um, definitely early on and even still now to to some degree, um, a lot of them came from comments I'd seen on, um, you know, people asking questions and stuff like that in primarily Reddit. Um, A bit you know, hacker news, stack overflow, stuff like that too. Uh, and I think that's another one of those things that you know, over time, I feel like I've built up a better mental model of like what kinds of things people struggle with. And so I can kind of more easily come up with topics that I'm pretty sure will, will strike a chord with some people. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, it was a lot more like, I don't really know what I should write about. So I'll just literally just copy and paste questions and be like, I saw this question. Here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I still do that sometimes, but, uh, 
but definitely in the beginning for React, it was kind of like you know what kind of what kind of things are people struggling with, and you know what sort of small specific things can I answer. So I, I tried to avoid like the the really big um, big topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually tried to go for things that were specific enough that I could kind of give them um, some concrete advice and some you know next steps to take, and kind of give them give them some kind of tiny win or takeaway. Hmm. Very nice. I'm kind of, as you're talking, I'm clicking through some of these posts and have this uh, Chrome plugin that tells me reading time. And yeah, just sort of for the folks at home to get a sense of like, is each one of these blog posts, a Patrick McKenzie style miniature uh, book (laughs) delivered by email (laughs) or is it, uh, you know, and so the reading time is between most of them. It's kind of between like five and seven minutes for a lot of them. There's a few outliers. There was one on testing. That's like, uh, like a 14 minute read time, which is, yeah, that that one's long. (laughs) Yeah. Snapshot (laughs) testing react with just, yeah. Uh, but a lot of them are, you know, in terms of reading, they're, they're really like a quick hit. Like, I don't know how long it takes to smoke a cigarette. I don't know who smokes cigarettes anymore, but uh, you know, you could probably smoke a cigarette in about the time it takes to read most of these posts. Right. So yeah, um, they're not a huge commitment. How long did it take you to create a post like that? Um, they, they typically take me between two and four hours or something like that. Okay. Um, depending on, you know, I, I've sort of played with the process a couple of times and I think the, the ones that have gone fastest uh, are the ones that I've outlined ahead of time. Um, but usually I don't do that. Usually I kind of sit down and I, yeah. I write down the title and then I just kind of go. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they tend to take me probably longer than I like, but, um, uh-huh. you know. Well, but let's think about that from this kind of holistic view. Let's say it's four hours a week, right? Which is funny because you... Spoke about the four-hour work week. <laughs> so, um, I mean, is there other time? I, we're going to get to the book in a little bit here because I'm very curious about that. That's really the next, you know, big set of questions I'd like to ask you. But just kind of keeping what you have running, would you say it's about a four-hour-a-week endeavor, or does it take more time than that? Um, it's it's probably a little more than that. I think because I because I spend some time, you know, reading and answering subscriber emails. Um, and I guess, yeah, most of the other time is like checking stats, yeah. <laughs> not a whole lot uh-huh. of active work. Sometimes I, uh, there, there's kind of a growing to-do list of things that I want to do. So I, I try to chip away at that sometimes like working on calls to action or, um, you know, uh, other things that I, you know, haven't done and haven't done uh, as much work as I'd like to on, but things like making an email course and stuff like that. Um, but I think, I think most weeks it's, yeah, between probably between four and eight hours or so. Um, and I'm, I'm not super consistent with my, with my posting schedule. I, I think I sort of allude to this in most of my calls to action. Even I, I say that uh, you'll get weekly ish posts <laughs> because I, <laughs> I tend to write, like I aim for weekly, but you know, lately it's been like once every couple weeks and, um, but I'll, I've never been very good about making a backlog and having, having saved up posts. Yeah. So it's kind of like write them, write them and ship them at the same time. You know? Right. Right. Okay. 
So let's talk about the book. When did the book happen? Yeah, so um, I think I started the book in April of 2016, something like that, um, and launched it in August. So was that four months or so? Um, okay. Um, I'm, that's interesting to me. I mean, just generally, but also because that's about how long it took me to write write my book, the positioning manual for technical firms. It was. Uh, okay. Think, I mean, thinking back, I I don't have like accurate records about that, but it was. It feels like it was about a three to four month project. Um, I I really wonder if that's a pattern of, that's sort of what you should plan on if you're going to do a a self published book. What made you think that would be a good idea? I know I phrased that in a kind of critical way. I don't mean it that way at all. I'm just like, <laughs> okay. I, I mean, who, who, how did you decide I'm going to write a book? Um, yeah. So I was, uh, so I, I wanted to, I want, you know, I, this was sort of my first product, I guess, first, first attempt at a product that I wanted to make it something small. Um, and this is, this is advice that I got to. It's like, uh, make it smaller than you think because it'll take you longer than you think. And, right. um, you don't want to, you know, quit and give up and never right. ship it. So, yeah, yeah. um, so, you know, there, there, there were lots of people doing, doing full on video courses, multiple hours and that kind of thing. And I thought like, Oh, that would be cool. But I have no idea how long it would actually take probably way too long. Mm-hmm. So, um, but at the same time, I, I didn't really feel, I guess I didn't feel right making something really small, like a little mini guide or something. Although I've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, some people have done really well with those too. But maybe more just like a mental hang up of like, it needs to be something substantial enough, but also um, scoped small enough um, that I can, uh, I can plan it and finish it. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I guess that's sort of been something that I've tried to keep going with is, trying to uh, narrow the scope of things that I'm doing um, mm-hmm. blog posts or books or whatever. Right. Um, Cause I think not only is it easier to, to plan and plan and create those things. I think it also is kind of better for the reader too. I think mm-hmm. uh, if it tries to cover too much, you know, it ends up being too vague. Um, so I think with, with this book, it was kind of a different angle than I'd seen. Uh, is most um, one of the one of the pains that I saw was that people would try to learn React, but they would also try to learn everything else in the ecosystem at the same time, uh-huh. and they'd get overwhelmed and um, you know give up or whatever. And I I had this idea that you should just learn React by itself, and mm-hmm. then once you understand it, the rest of it will all sort of naturally stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're trying to take on all of it at once, like you'll, you'll just get confused. So, um, so that was kind of the angle that I took. That was the way I, the way I tried to narrow it down. Um, because a lot of other stuff had been, here's how to do, you know, react and webpack mm-hmm. and redux and full stack and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to do that. So, um, that was kind of the idea. And yeah. Did, did you look around to see if there were competing offerings or if other people were working on something similar or? I, I did a little bit. Um, and the, the stuff that 
worried me the most, I think, were the really uh, like the inexpensive courses on like Udemy, for instance. Uh-huh. You can get you know eight hours of React training for ten dollars or something. And I thought like you know why would someone buy my book when they could just go here and buy you know get this get this right. um, full featured course or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember remember asking this question in in the Slack channel for the and for the thirty by five hundred class and mm-hmm. uh, Alex uh, Alex Hoban said said something like um, you know Udemy is not your competition your competition is the, the back button basically like right. someone just not buying your thing right. <laughs> like right. they come to your page they're not going to come to your page and they'd be like oh but I could just go to Udemy for ten dollars they're just going to either want your thing or not want your thing. Um, so that kind of helped me kind of helped me over that mental hurdle a little bit and, you know, got, got me to keep going anyway and yeah. get the thing out there. Um, and I, I still, I still worry about that a little bit. I, uh, and with the, with free stuff, especially, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good free content out there. Yeah. Um, and I still, you know, sort of wonder, you know, why would they, why would they pay? But I guess, you know, I think there's there's value in having um, someone to ki- kind of curate the knowledge for you, um, kind of scope it down to um, some easily digestible, you know, laid out plan instead of trying to cobble together random blog posts on Google or whatever. Um, yeah, you speak to that specifically on the sales page for the book. I love the headline, most advice is worth the price you paid for it. <laughs> specific <laughs> is true. Um, and, and something that's interesting to me about the book is how it seems to be focused on uh, learning by doing. So um, you've got yeah. these just like gorgeous uh, sort of GIF, uh, animated GIF screenshots of the apps that people will be able to build um, yeah. with the help of the book which I think is a very, that just makes it so concrete. It's very cool. Because you're, you're like, hey, we're going to build a Slack clone. I mean, you know, a, a stripped down Slack clone, a Reddit clone, a Hacker News clone. Like these are all things that your target audience can relate to, right? Because they're apps yeah. that most of them are probably already using. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, again, I'm not going to say how much uh, money the book makes for you, but... Uh, do you do you ever think about the money that it makes in terms of how much money you would have to have in a bank account or investment fund to produce that much interest per month? That's an interesting no, I haven't really thought about it that way. I did the numbers on the positioning manual. This is not to brag, but just I think the more uh this is not my own original idea. I heard somebody else describe an information product that's kind of an evergreen seller as equivalent to a mind-blowingly large uh, annuity or some other form of investment that pays interest. Mm, and um, I looked at the last year's of, uh, worth of sales for the positioning manual, and it's about 2800 a month. And if I, inv- if I had to create that much interest with a investment, and I looked at uh, a Vanguard high-yield ETF, I barely know what that is. I'm not much of an investor. I'd have to have $1.1 million invested in that to generate that much interest per month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I do not have that much money in an investment <laughs> account, but I make the equivalent amount. It's not equivalent in every way because it's, it's like having a million dollars gives you different options. 
but also yeah, sure. having a book that produces, you know, um, enough money to pay a car payment or pay rent or pay a mortgage on a small house like that also gives you options. So uh, my question really is not how much do you make Dave, but what new things has making the book opened up for you or what, what's changed because of the book? Yeah. So I, I think, um, I mean, having, having the audience, I think in, in having the audience, I think has, has given me, um, I think just built up my reputation a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, I get more emails from recruiters and that kind of thing and people reaching out. So I think, I think it would be a lot easier to get another job. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the, from the money side, like, I, I don't think it's, I haven't like gone out and bought any crazy expensive things or whatever. Um, but I, I feel like it, it does give me, it gives me a sense that I can, I can eventually make an independent living. You know, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's really the big thing to me, I think is, is that I, I want to go independent at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and this feels like, you know, I could actually get there, you know, this plus some savings or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the, uh, pile of money in, in an investment somewhere because mm-hmm. one of the other things I, I had sort of gotten into, um, you know, was, uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And this idea of early retirement, and if you save, save up, you know, twenty five x your annual spending, then mm-hmm. uh, you and you, you know, withdraw four percent a year, you you can basically live off the dividends for for forever. Right. Um, and that was that was sort of the, my path for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this uh, I don't know if the you know having the book and the extra income changes that. I think it's more just like okay, I can combine these things and maybe get there a little faster. Yeah, it seems that way to me. React may or may not be around for forever. So probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, nothing lasts forever for I guess. But that leads into my my next and I think final question. I, we've gone a little over the amount of time I asked for. Um, how would you repeat? I'm going to say this book is a, a success. I don't know if you ever use that word. Most people are, I think, a little more modest about their accomplishments than they might need to be. Your book's a success. How would you repeat that success? What would you make sure you did? What would you avoid doing You know, the next time you wanted to create some book like this? Yeah, that's a good, good question. So I've... I've been uh, sort of outlining my next product, um, which I think is going to be something a little bit bigger this time. I'm going to try doing a course, Mm. um, but still trying to keep it small in scope. Um, Right. So I think, I think in in terms of repeatability, I'm I'm planning to try to keep the scope narrow. um, Try to, um, Let's see. There's a bit of, you know, some of the repeatability will come easier, I guess, because I already have mailing list built up and that, mm-hmm. that certainly helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like the course would be similar subject matter so that your list would not be like, oh, you're producing a course on uh, weight loss. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's it's topically close enough that you could use that kind of forward momentum of the list, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm planning on doing um, so. 
for for the React world, a lot of people learn React and this library called Redux at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Redux, I think, is sort of the next step after React. And uh, I've gotten a good amount of people asking me for more posts and more content on Redux and stuff. And I've started mm-hmm. doing some blog posts about those, and they've they've done well. Um, so I think that's I think that's going to be the topic of the next course. So okay. I've pretty good idea that there's there's definitely a need there yeah um i mean i think that's that's part of the repeatability i guess too is like hope uh you know basing it on on real either customer feedback or um pains that you see out in the internet or whatever um Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of dreaming up ideas yeah yeah so pre-validation or research first like you mentioned before yeah Anything else you would make sure to do or not do? Mm. Let me interrupt your thinking. Would you, would you like, um, would you kind of sh- let people look over your shoulder? When I say people, I mean either through your blog or your email list. Would you be talking about the building process as you're building it, or would you go away to the code cave, knowing that you've got probably validation of demand? And would you build it in secret and then have a big launch or how would you handle that part of it? Yeah. You know, I, I haven't given it too much thought, but I, I kind of like the idea of um, building it a little more out in the open. Yeah. Um, maybe kind of sharing stuff with my list or on Twitter mm-hmm. or something as I go mm-hmm. um, with the, I didn't really do that with a book. I just kind of, you know, <laughs> hit away and built the thing. And, oh, and me, me too. It. I was so terrified. Nobody would care that, uh, that I was like, I'm not telling anybody what I'm working on <laughs> until it is done and ready to ship. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. That, that is a part of it too. I mean, there's that, um, you don't want someone to come along and say like, Oh, you know, we don't need that. Or, you know, or you should add all this stuff. I think that's another thing I'm afraid of is if I yeah. say I'm, I'm adding, I'm making a course on Redux, people are going to be like, Oh, you should cover this and this and this and this. Um, oh, you're right. It's so fragile when you're kind of in the workshop. It's this embryonic thing. It, it just feels, yeah, I, I, I resonate with that too. It feels like any little disruption to your, your like flow state could just mess things up. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a problem, um, a problem that I sort of battled a couple times while I was writing the book that I would get partway through it and then somehow change the the way I was thinking about it and then and then come upon this thought that was just like, oh, this is totally not going to be any good at all because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I took the wrong pathway to explain this. Mm. Um, or, you know, some of my base assumptions were wrong or whatever. Um, or, you know, coming upon new data. It's almost like, I think it's that, that sort of sinking feeling that you, you get when you have a cool idea and you Google it and you're like, ah, <laughs> someone already <laughs> right. made this. <laughs> it's that same sort of feeling, I think, where you, you know, halfway through creating the thing, you, you take a step back and you're like, Oh, am I even on the right path here? Should I, right. should I throw it all away and start over? And I, I think um, there's definitely a bit of fear that if I share it publicly, that people might say things that, <laughs> that trigger that feeling, you know? I know. And I, I think you and I would probably agree on what I'm about to say, which is I don't think there's any best practices about how to handle that. I think it's, it's very related to whatever your personality is because um, some people I think would thrive on that kind of interaction or maybe even getting into a little Twitter argument about whether something is or is not important enough to be in the product. Yeah. And 
I could see some people thriving on that and that the heat of that would, I think, improve the product and other people like me would be just so likely to be discouraged and lose a week of progress or something if, if, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. if that happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dave, I've, I've gone over the amount of time I wanted um, to, to take and I really appreciate you telling the story. I, I'm just so interested in, in people following the path you've gone down and building something that gives them that, you know, that sort of road to independence or, supplements their income or diversifies their income or whatever. So thank you. Um, Absolutely. If we could end with you repeating how the folks at home can find your blog, get on your list, buy your book, anything you'd like, uh, that'd be great. Sure. Um, you can find me at davesedia.com. That's C-E-D-D-I-A. Um, follow me on Twitter at dsedia. Uh, and the book is at purereact.com. Awesome. Well, Dave, thanks again. Hope you have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Philip. Bye.